0: Learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington. I'm the host of the podcast, Transformative Principal and author of the book, School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. And I'm a former uh, principal at all levels of K-12 education.
1: Greetings, everyone, uh, from the blizzard on the East Coast here. <laughs> I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently Cyber Traps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyber Ethical Kids, and Cyber Traps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I are teaming up on Clubhouse today to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use of and the misuse of digital devices.
0: All right. And uh, Tessa and Brittany, if you would like to introduce yourselves. Tessa, you can go first.
2: Hey, I'm Tessa Stuckey. I'm a therapist out of Houston, Texas, and I work with a lot of teenagers, and I do parenting coaching, um, trying to help people understand today's cultural effects on our kids and how to kind of navigate parenting in today's world.
0: All right. And Brittany?
3: Awesome. I am Brittany Schroeder, and I'm also in Houston, Texas, and I run a nonprofit called the Compassion Club, where we implement compassion clubs in schools and speak at schools and encourage them to um, be good people, pretty much, in a nutshell. So that is me.
0: (laughs) Very good. It's noble
1: work.
4: (laughs) Yes. There you go. (laughs)
0: And last but certainly not least, Marlena Gross-Taylor, would you introduce yourself?
4: Hi, everyone. I'm Marlena, and I am the founder of EduGladiators. And it is just like the name says. We are fighting for our kids and helping bring in a new era of education through leadership, engagement, and advocacy. And I'm so excited to be a part of this. I am hailing from uh, Wyoming right now as I split my time between Wyoming and uh, Annapolis because my kids decided to go to college on the East Coast.
0: So there you go. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you for being here, everybody who's here. Um, again, this is the Cybertraps podcast. And what we do is we talk to nation's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. And we're excited to uh, talk with you today. Our topic today is is what will the post-pandemic educational environment look like? And if you tap on my profile, then you can see the questions that we're going to ask, going to ask, excuse me. And the question is, what impact has a pandemic pandemic had on and how we've done education have on the following groups? Society, teachers, parents, students. If you would like to... Uh, speak and participate, you are welcome to raise your hand and we will bring you on. As you know, this is being recorded and we'll put it out on the podcast when it is completed. So let's talk about that first question of uh, what impact has it had on society um, at large. And because this is the Cyberchops podcast, we are taking a Technology standpoint on the things that we're talking about, so certainly we can bring some other things in. But um, who'd like to speak to that piece about society first?
3: Well, I always have something to say, so I'll go <laughs> first. But I mean, I think as far the pandemic, as far as society, society is concerned, that there's a little bit of a not a little bit there's a huge disconnect and I feel like we have dehumanized each other because we're getting our information from social media and we're we're losing we're not getting the experiences from our real life experiences you know we're, we're seeing and hearing things and it's different so I mean, a little bit like with my background is I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a life coach. And one of the tools that I, I've learned and I teach is like our beliefs come from thoughts we've had over and over and also comes from our experiences and our, our circle of influence. And when we're stuck at home and or most people are stuck at home, we're being influenced by technology, by social media, whatever it is. And we're losing the sympathy, the empathy, empathy the connection from one another. And I think, I think that has added to the divisiveness that we're seeing right now in our country because it, we're getting it from technology. And we all know that, you, you know, it's like it's the highlight reel. It's not, you know, it, it's not reality.
1: Well, Brittany, if I can follow up on that um coincidentally i finally got around to watching the social dilemma last night um, which i should have watched months ago and this is precisely what that movie is talking about and i think it does a really good job although some of their uh, recreations were a little cheesy but the underlying information i thought was really solid about all of the myriad ways in which these tech companies are feeding us what we want to hear. And it continually pushes us apart. It atomizes us in a lot of different ways. And I think that is the the single biggest aspect of the social impact of social media in general. And of course, as you correctly point out, the pandemic has heightened all of that because We've lost the interpersonal connection. If I see if I see one more tweet that says I need a hug, I, you know, I don't know what I'm gonna say.
4: Hey guys, I totally agree with that, um, and I actually watched the social dilemma um, a few weeks ago. And here's here's what my takeaway from that is: we don't have the human interaction to offset the echo chambers that social media has always created for us, but. What i'll say is the biggest impact that i've seen and having um having kids in college and they're super techie um because i try to be super techie and they teach me more than i think i teach them but what i what i saw very apparent was that we falsely think that our kids only live on social media that they didn't need the human interaction that they didn't want it and i think the pandemic showed us our students are struggling because they don't have that day-to-day interaction um, and that even though they are they are great on their phones and the virtual learning, and for most places if they were even halfway trying to be um, 21st century schools and incorporating uh, technology into their lesson planning and to the uh, students' instruction, that they are generally okay with that, but they were not okay with not seeing each other each and every day.
2: That's really good to hear um, because I work with a lot of teenagers and You know, that's been the case for a few years now. I think the pandemic has just made it more obvious and has brought that to light, how much we need to connect with each other and how much our kids really need that for their own social development and just mental health in general. And what I've seen a lot happening is is there's a lot of parents that I think think that their kids are connecting through Zoom and FaceTime and even you know chatting with their friends online, playing games and stuff, and they think that that might be okay and enough right now. When as you guys are, I'm just kind of piggybacking off of everything you guys have said it's not enough and it's not um healthy for anybody's mental health to only be on technology for connection and um i've seen this for years and years and years and i'm i'm kind of thankful in a way for the pandemic bringing a lot of this stuff to light and to force our our society to struggle a little bit in a new way that's waking people up Mm
0: mm-hmm Yeah, I I agree with that piece. And one thing that I hope that um, we take away from this is that we do need social interaction. And one of the, the worst parts about the pandemic, in my mind, is that we've used the term social distancing instead of physical distancing, because we've said by using that phrase, We've said that social isn't important and that it's good to be socially distant from people when that is the exact opposite of what we need as human beings. Frankie, I'm going to go ahead and bring you on. So thank you for uh, for, uh, coming in. Let's see. I want to make sure it works. Invite to speak. There you go. Frankie, you should be able to talk to me. Well, having a little bit of technical difficulties here. Frankie trying to get you on, and it's not working right now, but um, I'll keep working on that if anybody else wants to chime in. Uh, Any final (laughs) comments about uh, the impact on society?
1: I just think the the closing note I'll add to this is that... When we look at the societal level impacts of of the pandemic and the ways in which we use technology, we can't get away from the fact that the other groups we're going to talk about have such an integral role to play in addressing the societal level issues, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to be, as we come out of this, we're going to be looking to our schools and our parents and to kids themselves to basically rebuild the social structures that are so important to us. And a lot of that will happen organically. But I think we should try to be thoughtful as parents and educators about what, we, what lessons we want our children to take away from this very bizarre period of time and what we can do to help them you know, rebuild and restore the kinds of interactions that they'll need going forward.
3: Um, one of the things that I've noticed and I would love, you know, some of your, your opinions on this is I've noticed what little resilience that so many kids have. Um, I am blessed cause my kids don't struggle with anxiety or, you know, things like that. But, you know, like I have seen these kids just spiral, you know, because of, of you know, just the change, or, you know, it wasn't, you know, I I see people say, oh, dang it, like, they, you know, like, they're missing out on, on this experience, and they're really struggling with this, and, you know, I've noticed that, you know, kids are really struggling with this, like, how do we help, you know, I don't know if it comes to letting your kids fail, is it that we aren't letting our kids fail enough, I don't know what it is, but I've noticed that, some kids just they don't have the resilience they are really struggling mental health is i mean i i wish that was in the news a lot more the mental health of some of these youth and you know tessa probably sees it more than anybody but why is it that that some of these the youth have resilience
2: when others are just struggling it's sad you know i have a lot to say about that Brittany. <laughs> um i you know absolutely kids are struggling with resiliency and that that is why again silver lining to this pandemic i am thankful that this has happened because it's really forced a lot of people and especially kids and teenagers and young adults to struggle in a way that they've never had to struggle before and in return they are going to build strength and resiliency to that and um I think that that's a really great thing to come out of this whole thing. And and unfortunately, kids and teenagers and some young adults, they don't, they have not been given the opportunity to struggle in today's world. It, you know, they, there's a lot of parents out there that are lawnmower parents or helicopter parents who are, you know, have fixed all their problems and made it easier for them. And you mentioned, you know, the lack of failure. They haven't, a lot of kids haven't had the chance to fail. And so they haven't even, you know, they've been deprived the opportunity to uh, build that resilience and strength. And that's what I work with a lot of my clients on. And so in a way I am thankful for this pandemic because it has forced so many people to do so.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, Once again, thanks everybody for being here. If you want to see the topics that we're talking about, you can click on my profile and it will show you the questions that we're asking. We're talking about the impact of the pandemic and what post-pandemic education is going to look like, uh, especially from a technology-related view. And so we just talked about society. We're going to go now into teachers. And so I'll start with this one. Um, I think what a lot of teachers have learned is that Not having a connection with students has been really challenging. And when the pandemic first hit, one of the teachers uh, that I was working with said, this is not how I want to teach. I want to be standing up in front of the room and having a conversation with a whole group of kids where everybody's involved and we all get to talk. And this kind of education just is not going to work for me. And he was very seriously considering leaving education because um, he didn't think that it was, uh, was going to be good for him. And so he, um, he decided to stay, uh, but it's really challenging to, um, to be in that situation. And Rebecca, welcome. Thank you for uh, being, having something to say. So we'll turn it over to you, and then we'll go to the rest of the panel for their input.
5: Absolutely awesome. It's so great to connect with, with you, Jess, though, And this is such a great topic um, so the one thing that I will say is that it's forced us to realize just, we've said relationships are important, but now we know that it's just absolutely true. And it's not just relationships with the parents, but it's also being on the same page with the parents. And I think, um, so I'm coming to you from a background of special education and a lot of the feedback that we got from from parents was that they didn't understand just what the deficits were for their 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 child, mm-hmm. and it helped them to see a lot of the things that teachers may think that they communicated to the parent. Um, perhaps we need to do a better job of communicating, um, not just you know having access to. Different reminds and things, but actually having real discussions with the parents and the kids, so that everybody knows exactly what what they know and what they don't know. And that's my second point. It has forced us to realize what things are really important for kids to know versus what are some of the lessons that we teach that may be a little bit fluffy. Uh, So Mm -hmm. I hope that we start to look at the content and the curriculum and realize that maybe we need to change things up up a bit and finally get us into the 21st century. It's not just about having a computer, but how you're using the computer to really advance skills.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. And in fact, relationships are so important. In our last episode of this podcast uh, with Dr. Jeff Temple, um, he spoke about how... Sexting is a concern, but what is the bigger concern is that we need to be teaching relationships, that if we teach kids how to have healthy relationships, sexting will likely disappear. So will bullying. So will so many other problems that we have. Um, Any other comments about uh, the impact uh, for teachers going forward?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, one of the things I'd like to hear people's uh, thoughts on is the changing dynamic that has arisen during the pandemic between teachers and parents in particular. And what I'm really getting at is that there used to be more of a distance for educators in terms of how they presented material, uh, their interaction with students and so forth. And now, because of the amount of remote learning or hybrid learning, it feels increasingly like parents are effectively part of the class and i think there's both benefits and drawbacks to that i think for um for parents to have a better idea of the amount of work the teachers put in and the challenges of dealing with large classes uh, that's that's a huge positive because it really helps educate people about the challenges of teaching but it has also increased the amount of real-time criticism of teachers, uh, both in terms of methodology and content. And that's, that's one of the things I've, I've been trying to track a little bit because it, it oftentimes is a function of the polarization of the country. And so I think that on balance, we're seeing that the, the implementation of technology and the ability to do remote learning is opening up a lot of possibilities for the educational community and for teachers in general. But it's also putting more of a burden on them.
3: What did you say? It's putting more of a burden on what? I think he
1: cut off a little bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I, I may have left that. was that a cliffhanger.
3: <laughs> that was a cliffhanger there.
1: Well, <laughs> that's great. So the, the burden is that teachers are now um, being asked to teach basically on stage uh, in a very public way and I think that, that um, that's one of the things I'd love to hear people's comments about because uh, you know we want parents to be involved in their kids' classes we want them to feel confident about what they're being taught and how they're being taught but usually there was an ebb and flow that allowed for deliberation and like so much else of technology, remote learning has sped all of that up so that teachers are often getting instantaneous feedback in the middle of a class. Mm. And and I'm wondering how we grapple with that, because this is not going to go away.
0: So for me, I think one thing that is beneficial from that is that there is, there is requirement for a little bit more transparency and collaboration, hopefully, with parents, so that instead of a teacher just saying, this is the way it is. This is what you have to do. There's no discussion. There can now hopefully be more open communication um, where parents have a better idea of what's going on. So one of the things I did as a teacher is I had, uh, as a middle school teacher, I asked for parent moms to come into the classroom and volunteer. And that was something that was completely unheard of. But I had moms coming in, and I say moms intentionally because they have a different relationship with their kids than the dads do. And I did have a couple dads come in, and it wasn't as effective because moms have this great ability to nurture and support others. And they would come in, and they would provide this support that was just incredible for the kids in my class. Who we think of middle schoolers as kids who don't want their parents involved and want to be away from them. But man, these these moms came in and they would give me feedback and say, boy, when you were talking about this, uh, this kid over here, he was totally tuned out and didn't want to hear anything about it. But then when you talked about this, he got right into it. And I think there's an opportunity for more collaboration and support in, in that regard. Any other comments on, on that?
3: I I just have a comment. Um, I noticed with what I'm do, you know, what I do with my nonprofit is, you know try to get these clubs you know implemented into the schools and i i always go to the administrators and i say listen you can get them all of the you know the great education programs you can get them great athletic programs that if we cannot teach these kids to be good human beings they are going to fail at life mm-hmm. and i felt like i got so much resistance from administrators you know if it was their idea if if you know, like the mental health or or that was their idea. They were super open to it. But if I was coming to them, you know, I I did. I got a lot of resistance. And, you know, I, you know, we moved to Houston three years ago and I try to get clubs in where my kids go to school. And I had a high schooler and I guess middle school at the time, elementary at the time. And the high school, when I met with them, they didn't even want to meet with me this was before the pandemic so um and I just said hey listen I have this club I mean I give scholarships like I will fund it I mean I was just you know and he just said we don't like parents in in schools we don't like parents to come on campus Wow, we have rules (sighs) yeah and so I said okay you know and I I'm a salesman too so I said okay just let me meet with you and I had even met with the district too the the like the counseling portion or whatever it's called of, of the district and they were supportive of me. They didn't really push it for me, but they were supportive. And I said, just let me come in and, and, and just talk to you. And, um, anyway, so I went in and I talked to them, but they just was like, yeah, we just don't really like a lot of parents on, on campus. And I, and I pushed it and they finally agreed to letting me come and I could come if, if the, the sponsor teacher, who was a special ed teacher, and so i would i would go in like once once a week or not once a week i'm sorry once a month and do a lesson or bring an activity and she would do it the rest of the time I, I, I you know the teacher interesting enough was not very kind like she i don't know if she didn't like me in there but she wasn't very friendly my son of course was in the club and he's like oh she's so mean and she's mean to all the special ed kids you know and, and I had this thought where it was just like, you know, we need more positive, these kids need more positive role models. And unfortunately, sometimes the teachers and the coaches, they just are not hacking it. They're just not, you know, whether they're sick of kids or what, I don't know the reason. But so I just felt like that I had a resistance with administrators. You know, if it wasn't their idea, and I, you know, now I don't even, like, pursue it. If they're interested, I throw it out, but, you know, so, you know, I think that that is something, and and I don't know if it's they're getting pressure that they have to have, you know, the kids, I know you get pressure to get good test scores and all of that, but I, you know, I would just love, like, how do we get through to the administrators? Like, are they out of touch with, like, the kids? I don't know. I don't know. Just, just a thought.
0: Yeah, pretty scathing there, Brittany. Thank you for that. Unfortunately, sometimes that is the case. And I think that's one of the things that we're seeing uh, with this is that, um, as Fred was talking about, that there's more exposure about what's happening. And that can be challenging for people to bring others into the loop like that. So, um, unless there are any more comments about uh, the impact on teachers, we're going to move to parents next. And so, any comments on the impact for teachers? Okay, so let's talk about the impact on parents and what it's going to be like uh, for them. I think um, one thing that's that's really been interesting, uh, Heather Staker, who is a uh, blended learning specialist and has been teaching schools about blended learning for years, has said before that... Uh, Screen time doesn't matter if you're using screen time for something productive and that basically we should divide screen time up into um, productive things and wasted time. The wasted time stuff is what's not good for screen time. Um, And so I haven't talked to her recently, but I probably should. uh, And we should probably have her on the podcast Friday because that would be good. But that sounds good, <laughs> but I think the thing I'm thinking about for parents is that our kids are on devices way more now than they ever have been before, and to me, that is an issue. What are your thoughts about uh, the impact on parents?
2: I think there's a lot to unfold with that um. There's so and you know what, that's funny that Heather says that I say that all the time, if, if any of us not just kids, but if any of us are going to be on screens, it needs to be for productivity rather than mindless scrolling or waste wasting time because we are going to mentally feel that when we put our phone down and. Um, but I think for parents, they're going to have to adjust a little bit and be okay with some discomfort. So here we go again. The parents are going to have to set boundaries and understand the goal and um, in taking the screens away so that our kids are not on them 24 seven. And the goals are for them to have, to live a healthy, balanced lifestyle. They're going to, you know, these screens, oh, I have a lot to say about it, but there's so much screen addiction happening and they're losing sleep over it. And so if, if you can simplify your goals as a parent to just that. Like, I want to make sure they get good sleep, right? And kids and teenagers are supposed to get 10 to 12 hours of sleep within a 24-hour period, which is so unrealistic in today's world, but we can at least strive for as close to 10 hours as possible, and that means taking away the screens and setting those boundaries. Um, But we're going to get backlash from kids, right? They've gotten really used to it. They're used to the dopamine rush that happens when they're on the screen so much, and just like cocaine, that's not an easy one to have a withdrawal from and so they're gonna have to get used to the parents are gonna have to find some sort of way to struggle through having some backlash from their kids when they set some new boundaries after this pandemic is over and I don't know about you guys but in my neighborhood When the quarantine really first started, I saw people outside more than ever. And I thought it was so beautiful and families playing games together and doing things. And I think that as the pandemic continued, um, people lost sight of that and they got back to staying inside more and... um, you know, staying busy on screens, which is, is not healthy for our mindset. So, um, I would want to encourage parents to kind of get back to the basics and focus on what are your main goals with your child and understanding that on screens, um, all the time, especially when it's wasted time is actually doing a big, big disservice for our kids. Tessa, Tessa. if I can
1: follow up, if I can follow up on that, um, with a couple of stories. I was in the UK, Uh, a year ago when lockdown started on March 23rd, and and I'm a runner, so that was one of the things you could do, was to go outside and run, and I have never seen that many runners out at one
2: time. I believe it, yes. It
1: was an absolute explosion, and the other thing that was very funny was about three or four weeks later, some of the newspapers in the UK started running articles about the impact of the pandemic lockdown on dogs, because yes, another I... <laughs> <answer>. <laughs> Right, so people were showing up. Can I take your dog for a walk? And these dogs were oh, walking like that. six
2: hours a day. Yeah, and then the dogs <laughs> develop a codependency and, and dependent on the
1: yeah, parents. So I agree with you. I think you put your finger on it exactly. I have um, eight nieces and nephews, and I've had discussions with my siblings already yeah. about, the pandemic withdrawal and I think some of that will be the kids will take care of some of that themselves because they're going to be so eager to interact in real ways I agree with with their peers right so the the withdrawal may not be too bad but I think for kids I think Brittany was talking a little bit about this for kids who are already predisposed to isolation and Mm -hmm. self-absorption this this pandemic's been really difficult, and it's, I am worried yeah, about that. Um, I agree. You know, we we've definitely seen. Actually, our very first podcast guest, Glenn Lipson, talked about the um, the rise in, in suicide and suicidal ideation uh, coming out of this, and and that's going to be a long term social impact. Yes, it, height, it heightens the need for parents to be aware of how their kids act and whether there are changes that they should
2: dig into. Yeah, you
4: know, well, and, I
2: definitely agree.
4: And Tessa and Frederick, um, I, I just, I just want to piggyback on what you're saying. And, and here's a question that I have, though. At the beginning in March, when we all were shut down, schools were sending out resources and ideas of how families could connect offline with their kids and families. And are we doing that to the same extent now? right like that's the question that i right
2: i don't see that, that being encouraged right. I,
4: right like do you remember yeah. that like i remember helping craft many of those emails around things to do at home and so part of that momentum dying i think is because um as schools struggle to figure out how to come back their focus has shifted back to testing and academics and because academic. of the pressure from their state or federal government mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not around, is your child okay? Is your family okay?
2: I agree
1: wholeheartedly.
4: Marlena, that's a
1: good point. I think that, you know, from what I've observed, and my kids are post-school, so it's not quite as direct, but this, this concept of pandemic fatigue is blending with the concerns by parents now of, you know, a quote-unquote lost generation, and I think that's a bit of hyperbole, but at the same time, you're starting to get economists like I saw this morning in the in the newspaper, economists predicting that there will be career long economic impacts for some kids, that that the ground that they're losing is is going to re- restrict their earning potential over the course of their lifetime. So, um, I don't blame parents for putting pressure on schools to basically move away from the. Uh, is your kid okay? To what are you actually teaching my kid? Hmm.
3: I think too. Just another thought is I think I think that we have a, two different types of, of parents, to be honest. But as a as a whole, I think that parents are not educated on the negative effects of technology. I mean, I can't tell you. I mean, it's like here here's here's a weapon. Here it is like, you know, like no restrictions, nothing. You know, putting, you know, giving them access to literally whatever they want to see. And you know, I had a, I had a friend um, a while ago that, you know, they gave, her, they gave her daughter, uh, uh, they gave her daughter a phone at eleven, and she was, you know, up you know, searching up pornography and looking at all these, like, horrible things for years and years and years, and they they were totally unaware of it. But even, you know, Tessa, I know this is Tessa's platform, but just social media, and I'm constantly fighting, not my son, my son doesn't care, he doesn't have social media, but my 12-year-old daughter constantly fighting with, no, you're not going to have social media, no, you know, trying to compromise and, and fighting, but I'm going again up against. All my friends have it, you know, and so I, you know, and I, I don't like. I don't have time to educate all these parents, but I think it's just we have to educate the parents. I don't think parents realize half the time what what their kids are doing. They don't realize like the 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 crap that is on. You know like out there on the internet or they think oh my kid won't do it or they live in denial or they just don't want to realize it so I think part of the problem is educating and I don't know whose shoulders that falls on is it on you know is it on the the schools that they need to do a better job of educating the parents because they don't know I don't know. I don't know. who. I'm trying, are. Brittany. I'm
2: trying. I know. I know, girl. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, we need to get out. It so this are year. we.
0: We're gonna over here. We're
2: gonna I know. And, and you guys are too with cyber traps podcast. Like it's so helpful and resourceful for parents. We just need to get it out there more, but you're right, Brittany. It's, it's a lack of understanding. And whenever my kids, You know, my kids are younger, but they they have friends that have smartphones. And so they'll ask, like, when can we get a smartphone or when can we get a phone? And I always just say it's really bad for your brain. Or they'll say things like, "Um, Mom, why can't we have an iPad to play on on the weekends or whatever? and i say it's just it's not good for your brain and your heart and your soul buddy we're not there and and i'll explain it a little bit more with each of my kids separately cuz they're at different ages but um but then when they ask the question well my friends have one and my why don't their parents you know are why don't their parents care about their brain and their heart and their soul? And I said, I don't think that their parents know. I don't think that their parents understand or know. And I, I know a little bit about it, buddy. So you know, and but you're right, Brittany. We can only shout it from the rooftops, and it will only reach, a, you know, a small amount of people, and, and so we can't hold on to all of that responsibility, but, I mean, I'm going to keep trying, and I know, Jethro and Fred, you are too, but um, anyway. Well,
1: absolutely, I mean, at this point, after a decade, what else would I do? <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I will say, you know there's a I don't want to get too philosophical about this but but it seems to me and I, I assume that this is relevant and, and meaningful to everybody who is on this call that the goal is to reach people when they need to be reached and and to be there to provide information at a time when it is useful to people and if even if it's only a handful of people, that's progress and and that's the goal I think.
0: We're welcome gonna, to jump back in. Go ahead, Brittany.
3: I, I was just going to add one more thing. What I think is really sad is the parents who care and are listening. But think about all those kids who come from homes where the parents a don't have time or they don't come from loving homes. And I think that that is what's really scary to me because if parents are listening to your podcast or listening or you're, they're reading your book, Tessa, or whatever, they're the ones that care. And it just breaks my heart to think that, you know, w- there's so many parents that they're not getting that, that, that love at home. And, and I've seen that even with, you know, our compassion club and how it's, it's how it like affects these kids lives. And I'm like, these are things I teach my kids at home. But so many of these children are not getting these things taught to them at home. And it, it just breaks my heart that, you know, but but whose, whose shoulders does it does it fall on? As a parent, I take on if my kids are failing in school, I take that on myself. I will make you know, I'll I'll help them. If they're struggling with others, it's it's my responsibility. They're my my children. But there's so many kids that are, are getting lost. They're the, the unreachable, you know, because they're
2: getting forgotten. And that is what breaks my heart. It's just, mm-hmm. it's that it's That breaks my heart too. But I do think that there's a lot of parents that have good intentions and they do care, but they just don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's so many parents that are either busy with work or their lifestyle or they just, they haven't seen the negative effects of it within their house. I know I have good friends, very good friends who I keep preaching the same things to, but they still, you know, let their kids have these devices and they're like eight and nine years old and they're not seeing any of the negative stuff yet. And so I think for a lot of parents, they just don't. They don't understand the long-term effects, and they don't understand like, and they're not open to it because they're not seeing it right in front of their face.
4: Hey guys, so one of the um, hopefully you can hear me. One of the uh, strategies that I use, I've used since I was a teacher, all the way to principal and district office, and teaching other schools how to do it in districts is we we always talk about like meeting kids where they are, but we have to meet families.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: and we have to understand what motivates families
0: marlena you're just not coming across but uh, what i heard you say even though it was breaking up was we need to understand uh meet families where they are and understand what motivates families Um, so maybe, uh, maybe another time we can, uh, we can have you go into that a little bit more, but, um, you're, you're breaking up a little bit too much and I can't quite get the whole thing. So, um, that's a really great point though. we do need to meet families where they're at and understand what motivates them. And I want to hear what Marlena has figured out does motivate them. So, uh, if you want to text me, Marlena, I can communicate that for you, but, um, But I want to transition to our last topic, which is how this uh, will impact, has impacted and will impact students going forward. And one thing that Fred mentioned earlier was that their earning potential can uh, change based on how well they do or do not do in school. And that's an important thing to consider as well. Um, but to me, the, the more important thing than that is, uh, the idea of them being happy and fulfilled and successful in their life regardless of how much money they make certainly we want to elevate people and make it so people aren't poor but at the same time um we we want people to feel fulfilled in their lives
1: well i think that's a really good point jethro and and I don't want to leave anyone with the impression that my only concern here is is what their earning potential is. Oh,
0: really? I thought that's exactly what you said, Fred.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But what what I was really trying to underscore are these unforeseen long-term implications of what the pandemic has done to education. And that does get directly to kids. Again, some of the other things that we try to educate parents on are the... Incremental physical impacts that use of devices can have. Like, you know, you are seeing people basically saying it's a pandemic, let's not be too concerned about screen time. And generally, I agree with that. But you are starting to see issues in terms of nearsightedness or some muscular skeletal things that are associated with hours upon hours of use of devices. And we can't excuse the pun, but we can't lose sight of those impacts as we're going forward. Um, I think that um, it will be a challenge to give kids the tools to adapt to the you know, vast increase in the amount of online time that will inevitably, I think, exist going forward because it will be very, very difficult to reel that back in, I think.
0: Yeah. And I just want to, Marlena did text me. Thank you, Marlena. And what she said was that um, have, when you have parent meetings, talk about these things during those parent meetings and don't just talk about academics. And I think that this is really important. When I stopped talking about grades and assignments during my parent teacher conferences, I saw a high increase in engagement from parents. They cared more that I cared more about their kid than just what their test scores were. So just want to make sure that I got that in there from Marlena and then any closing comments uh, from you, Brittany or Tessa.
2: Um, Well, I just want to, I think kind of what Fred was saying about how some parents are like, whatever, it's a pandemic. Like let's just, uh, they can have as much screen time as possible. I think it's time for parents to not think that way anymore because we've been in this pandemic for a year now or almost a year now. Right. And so we don't know, right, how long it's going to last. And I think that it's time for parents to adjust accordingly for their family and for their child's emotional well-being and health um, as if this is our new normal. I hope it's not our new normal, but I agree with you, Fred, that that there, I do think there's going to be more online schooling. And so I just encourage parents and, and individuals adults teenagers kids everyone to focus on balance like if you have to be on your computer and your phone for work that's fine but make sure you balance it with the proper self-care and i don't mean you know a glass of wine and a massage every week even though that's nice too um i mean truly taking care of yourself from showering to um date nights with your spouse to time with your friends and all of that so that you are, are hobbies i'm really big on having hobbies Um, to keep you busy trying new things new skills so that you can balance all that time on screen with something that feels good for you not just productive because there's always things that we can do that are productive but that don't feel good for me like doing laundry or something but I mean like really feels good that you did it and not just binge watching a show or um, being on FaceTime with a friend so that's just kind of where I'm at right now and yeah And I was just going to add, like, it's it's hard being a parent.
3: I mean, it is not for the weak of heart for sure. And it, it takes <laughs> a lot of work. Like, I mean, it really is, you know, even with, with devices, I mean, it is exhausting. You know, we one of the things we do is every Sunday we, we put our kids' like devices in the safe and ours and we lock it up. And, you know, yeah, it would be easy when they're like, can I have my phone? Can I have my phone? Just like, yeah, get your phone, you know. But it does. It it takes effort to you know to help like get our kids on track and to help them understand like no this is this is life like this is reality. Just sitting and being bored is okay. It's okay to like let's get creative. Like I have felt during the pandemic, I've had to teach my kids to be kids again because I I was one of those parents that were like no we are not going to be on devices. Like I said. If you want your phones, then you get up and we're going to go work out together. We're going to do something with your brain. We're going to do these things and then you can, you can earn your phone. But it's exhausting. It, it's a lot of work. And I think that is part of the problem is we are in this, like our society, we're just hustle and bustle all the time. And it that's what's easy is just giving them the phone. It's easy mm-hmm. just to not, you know, pay, just go, go away. Here's your phone. Go away. Your device. Go away. It's, it's hard. But, if you know, for the love of the children, we have to, like, reel it in. We have to take control of this now and just keep, keep working at it. We just got to get better, you know? There's not going to be perfection, just progression, right?
1: You know, Brittany, that's really, really well said. I, you know, we, I think there's, there, if you look at kind of the, the mommy blog universe, there's been this, this push for parental perfection. And I, I think the pandemic has underscored uh, a little bit of how uh, foolish a chase that is. There's, there's one part of what you were saying that made me laugh, though, because my mother had this saying when we were growing up. And keep in mind, of course, that there were no devices or anything like that. But she loved, you know, if we were kind of getting uh, itchy and, and difficult you know, she would basically say to us, your boredom is not my problem. You go figure it out, you know, which is one of the reasons I read as much as I do, because, you know, that was a way of coping with it. But but it was my mother was very clear that that it was on us to figure out how to entertain ourselves and, you know, just get through the day. And I, I don't want to leave you again with the impression that she was not interacting. Both she and my dad did a ton of stuff with us, but not every minute of the day and she expected us to figure out how to fill those slots ourselves
4: well frederick isn't that a, a key part of a pre-k structure in schools like pre-k uh, pedagogy is independent play and so your mom was just trying to make sure even as you um, even as you got older that you knew how to play independently Or in the south you stay outside until the street lights come on right Mm -hmm. one or the other we did some of that too uh, marlena but you know jethro can address more
1: accurately than i can about the pedagogical piece for pre-k but that that does make sense from what i recall
0: yeah she's she's absolutely right well i want to thank everybody for being part of the this live cyber traps podcast recording this was really good and i Appreciate our uh, fellow panelists here Brittany, Tessa, and Marlena Thank you all for being here And if you want um, more from this Make sure you subscribe to the podcast uh, The Cybertraps podcast On all your favorite podcast apps And share it with your friends And then feel free to connect with us On Twitter or on Instagram Uh, I'm on Twitter At Jethro Jones, Fred is at Cybertraps Marlena is at EduGladiators And uh, Brittany And Tessa are on uh Instagram. Um Tessa is at the Mom Therapist and Brittany is at Brittany.schroeder, I think. I'll have, I'll make sure that's right in yes. the show notes. Yes. Okay, good Britney.sroder. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well thank you everybody for being part of the Cyber traps podcast today. This was thank great. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much, guys.
0: There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do Visit MyFlexLearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com slash
1: BE.